in this series of uh, Bible teaching from the book of uh, Ezra and Haggai. We called it Home from Exile, Finding the Heart to Rebuild. This week it's about discouragement, God's word to the discouraged. Now, keeping going can be quite hard, can't it? If you've got a, especially you've got, if you've got a, a big project. Uh, we moved to our house five years ago when we came to Portswood. Uh, the garden at the back and the front was quite interesting. And the project is ongoing. <laughs> and uh, it's easy to become, let's shall we say, a little bit discouraged with it. You know, and I, by that I don't mean that you know, Mary and I get really depressed and you know, down. But it just means we, we kind of put up with it as, as it is. And you know, you, you've got stuff to do. You think, oh, you know, what, what's the point? And we've been following the adventures of God's people in the Old Testament of the Bible uh, at a time about 500 years before Jesus came. Uh, And it's towards the end of the Old Testament story. Uh, It's uh, a time when God's people are are involved in a really big project. Uh, As we shall see, it was a project that involved building the temple. God had told them to, to build the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed. And that was a very, very big project. And you like that. Our lives can be a big project. I don't know whether you think of your life as a project, uh, what kind of project it is, whether you get discouraged or whether you're a natural project manager. But let's say it's possible, isn't it, to get discouraged. And if we do get discouraged, how can we get uh, that sense of life and purpose back again? The story so far, very, very quickly, I'm tempted to ask you to tell me, but I I won't, that we've got the whole community of God's people, the Israelites. They've come back from exile in Babylon. They were judged by God because they'd uh, uh, disobeyed him and worshipped foreign gods, and they were exiled. They were taken away to Babylon. They'd been there nearly 70 years, and they've been given the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. And rebuild their lives as a community back in their land. So, so far, in in episode one, they get back. It's amazing. God has been working. He's been working in history. He gets them back there. uh, And they're part of a huge movement of God's power and sovereignty in history. Episode two, they start by building the altar. It's a building site. There's nothing going on in the temple. But they set up the altar and they start worshipping God there. They make a priority of of being at that place where they can meet with him. And then they start building the temple itself. And they get as far as laying the foundations out. And you can see what the shape of the the temple is going to be like. And that was a couple of weeks ago or whenever it was you were last here. And they have a celebration because they can see the shape. And, you know, half of them are cheering and a few of them are crying. It's a very unusual celebration. Because some of them are a bit sad that it's not as good as the old one. And then last week, in the last episode, we saw that actually they then got opposition. They were opposed. They wanted to be different from all the people in the land all around them. But uh, the people took that very badly, the people around them. They got involved in every dirty trick in the book to stop them building. And it all had gone very wrong. And if we read from Ezra chapter 5 to start with... Uh, that's on page, if you're using the same version as, as me, um, which you may not be, so that might not be much help to you. <laughs> uh, Ezra chapter 5. It, you'll read actually what the, the kind of bigger picture was here. Ezra 5 verse 4. 
what was going on. It's on page 477 in my version. Uh, Ezra, sorry, I think I've got the wrong uh, chapter here. I, I think it should be Ezra 4, verse 5. Ezra 4, verse 5. Ezra 4 verse 4, sorry, then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They set out to discourage them and they did a pretty good job of it. Because by the time you get to the end of chapter 4 verse 24, thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia. So they're set out to, to discourage them, basically, to discourage God's people. And this is about discouragement today. And you know, they did a pretty good job of it. Everything on the temple project stopped. And it stopped for 20 years. 20 years, nothing happened. 20 years, they live in this level of discouragement. Actually, as we saw last week, it was the government, the, the people around, the other nations around who, who got this kind of campaign going, even used the government. And the government made a law and said, you mustn't do any more building. So there they were in this state of discouragement. Discouragement. What kind of life were they living? Well, they're still believers, aren't they? They've still got the altar. They're still meeting with God. They've got something there. They haven't stopped worshipping God in that way. They could have their festivals, but what they didn't have now was the temple. And what did the temple mean? Do you remember what the whole point of the temple was? It was to be the place that was where God would live with them, where they were going to have God with them right there in their community life. That's what they didn't have. They had something, but it was much less than what God wanted for them. God had wanted to live among them in a temple. He'd asked them to build it so that he could be there. And 20 years had gone by, and they were right. They were putting up with it. They were thinking, oh, it's okay. But it wasn't okay. Now, do we get discouraged like this? You know, we're believers. We've, we've kind of got the altar in our lives, so to speak. We know that we know Jesus. We know that God has rescued us. We have a relationship with the Lord. But living with God at work in our lives? Well, surely not. That's not possible, is it? It's against the law for us, isn't it? Is it against the law? Well, it's against the law for us in our thinking, not the actual law, law, but the way everybody thinks around our lives, everyone in our culture thinks, God isn't for everyday life. God isn't to be there. You're not supposed to experience God. Surely you don't expect God to do anything. That's not what God's like. You can't, it's crazy to expect God to work in your life. Madness. It's illegal to think like that in our world. You're not allowed to live as if God actually does things. Can God be at work in a community of his people? Surely not. Surely not, people say. Not now. Not here. That kind of thing doesn't happen in Britain. That's for places like Nepal or for Africa or places like that, people say. And we give up praying. Well, we kind of pray, but we give up expecting any more of God. 
We carry on without what God wants for us. We put up with it. We get used to it. We get discouraged. The good news is from Ezra and from Haggai is that that can change. We don't have to be like that. 20 years of discouragement comes to an end. And it comes to an end very dramatically. Chapter 5, verse 1 in uh, Ezra. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then verse 2, then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Twenty years of discouragement came to an end. Why? It says God is over them. Did you see that? The end of verse 1, chapter 5. God's word comes. They respond to God's word, and their discouragement changes. Could God's word help us out of that kind of long-term discouragement? That's what the next few weeks are going to be about. Because we're actually going to see what Haggai said to these people. What was this message that he had that was able to so dramatically bring them back on track after 20 years of utter, complete discouragement? What did he say? Because as we look into Haggai... He, he, he's amazingly effective. Haggai, well, let's turn to the book of Haggai now. If you have a Bible, you'll find it's the uh, best way to find Haggai is to start at Matthew and go backwards. Uh, and then you'll go backwards through Malachi, and then you'll go to Zechariah, and then you'll keep going back before Zechariah, you get to Haggai. It's on page 948 if you're using um, the version that we usually have. And there's dates in this. See, it says in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, and so on and so forth. That's in verse 1. And we actually know what those dates were, if this is correct. Haggai's first message comes on the 29th of August, 520 BC. Okay? Right there then, in history, 29th of August, 520 BC. He gives a few messages, and they're summarized in, in the book of Haggai. And the last one he preaches is on, 18th of the December, on the 18th of December, 520 BC. Less than six months, and the people are transformed by God's word. Zechariah also, as we read, is preaching at that time. And if we have time in our series, we'll look at some of what... Uh, Zechariah said away as well. But the key thing is that Haggai then points to a way out of discouragement. There in verse 1, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, he's the governor, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. God's word comes. He gives some talks, I guess the prophecy, that what we have written down that's been collected are the basic bones of what he had to say. The thing is, the Lord has something to say to his people. It's a message to the leaders, but it's also a message to the people. Zerubbabel, if you're interested, this man mentioned here is the grandson of the last king of Judah before the exile. The last of David's descendants. Joshua is the high priest. But actually, this word is for all the people. Verse 2, these people say, and uh, the message is for all of them. So discouragement, it can touch a whole community. 
the leaders and all of them. And God has something to say about it. I want us to see what Haggai has to say. He's got three basic points that he is going to make. I hope if we can get him on to the next slide. No? Okay. Right. Here's the first way out of discouragement. Three ways. First one, Haggai says, realize what's gone wrong. Let's read verse 2 and 3. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is what Haggai says to them. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this uh, uh, house remains a ruin? Here's the first thing. Haggai says to the people, you need to realize what's gone wrong. Haggai says, look, these people are saying this to each other. They've got things to say to each other, but they're not saying to each other what God has said to them. God had given them a clear instruction to rebuild the temple. Uh, It's a bit like being, you know, you're in an airport. Ever done this? You've been in an airport waiting for a plane and you're talking. If you're a talker, maybe like me, you're talking and you talk over the tannoy and you don't hear it. Have you ever done that? And you're not quite missed your plane, but you suddenly realize you're not in the right place. You're talking over the tannoy. Uh, We were in Malaga Airport last summer, and um, I was talking to Mary, and we knew when the plane was due, and uh, and we were having coffee. I said, we got loads of time, because, you know, I said, I know where it is. Don't remember the the, uh, departure gate? It's just through the doors there, and so on. So so we had a coffee and talked over the Tannoy, and and then we realized that they'd redesigned Malaga Airport in the previous 12 months, and it was about a mile to the departure gate, whereas we thought. And we just, uh, you know, talking over the Tannoy. Got it wrong, missed out on something. These people are kind of talking over what God has said. God has said, rebuild the temple. The people were saying to each other something else, as we shall see. What are they doing? They're redefining their faith. They're kind of saying, well, we know what we think. We're kind of ignoring what God says. God has told them to build. They say, it's not yet time. Why did they say that? Well, it's been difficult. They were looking at their circumstances. They forgot all about the whole reason for building the temple, that God would be living with them, and that's what he wanted. They were thinking it's okay where we are. You know, it's a bit like us in our garden. We'll kind of put up with it as it is. We don't need to do this now. Let's just leave it. Discouragement can hit us like that, can't it? Sometimes the Christian life can be hard doesn't go easily we think well if it doesn't go easily it can't be right we may be wrong we may be talking over the tannoy we may be talking over what god has said let's just leave it we say difficulties led to discouragement so they just don't bother do we redefine christian experience do we say well you know god doesn't really mean to bless us in this way No, it's not for now. It's not for us. It's not for here. They're redefining it. Then the second thing they're doing, if this works, is they're reducing God's, the Lord's place in their lives. They're reducing the Lord's place in their lives. They they build their houses, Haggai says to them. 
Look, um, you know, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It says in verse 3, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled house while this house remains a ruin? They built their own houses. They were sorting out their lives. They had a lot to do. You know, they were just getting sorted out in the land again. So they do that. But anything to do with the Lord, well, that's in a different place. You know, that's, that's in a different kind of section of my life than the bit of my life where I care about my house and my kids and all the other things about me. That's what they were doing. They're kind of reducing the Lord's place in their lives. So surely we think when we're discouraged, the Lord can't take the same place as the rest of my life, like my job or my house or my family. Surely God's, the Lord is for that extra bit. For, I haven't got time for anything else, we say. You know, we've got the altar. I know Jesus. I enjoy coming to church. I've got the festivals. You know, what, isn't that enough? That's about right. And Haggai brings this diagnosis, you see. He wakes them up. He's like the alarm clock in the morning. They've gone to sleep in discouragement. And he says, well, look, if you've got time to build your own houses, why haven't you got time to do what the Lord wants you to do? Why treat the Lord differently to the rest of your life, he says. Have I moved the Lord to the edge of my life? Have you? Or have I moved my life away from him, maybe? We need to see what's happening. It can be a symptom of discouragement when we kind of kind of fence off our life and say that bit's for God. It's got nothing to do with like job and family and, and work. That's the first step away from discouragement is to realize what's gone wrong. That's what Haggai says. But he's got another step and it's in verses 5 to 11. Let's read what he says. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down some timber and build the house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. So, second thing. Second way out of discouragement is rediscover what you're missing. That's what Haggai says to them. He tells them to listen to the word of the Lord and to do something else. Do you see what he says them to do? He says, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. What does he mean by your ways? Well, your ways are the whole of your life. And Haggai is saying to the people then and to us too, if we're kind of discouraged, to say, well, look, let's bring all of our lives, every part of them, to God's word. To stop and think, to realize that the Lord is concerned about the whole of our lives. He's not to be kind of marginalized, locked out at the edge. And Haggai gives them three things and us three things to think about 
about God. Here comes the first one. Think about who God is. That's the first one. You see, he talks about the Lord there. You see that? L-O-R-D in capital letters in verse 5. The Lord was the name God gave to his people, the Israelites. It was the sign of his special relationship with them. They were in covenant with with God. And God said, I want you to know me as the Lord, Yahweh, as it is in, in Hebrew. And that, that name pointed to God's commitment to them. God made a covenant with them. And it, 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 it reminded them that God had rescued them from Egypt. And he'd given them a purpose in the land. That although he'd punished them, he had purposes for them in the future. That he wants them to be his people. And all of it's kind of anchored in everything he's done in history. And everything he's said in his word. All he's done, all he is. Aki, I sang to them, this is the Lord we're talking about. This is the God that loves you, who's committed himself to you in relationship. And so they're reminded of his name, the Lord. Now for us, what the Lord has done is in Jesus, isn't it? We, We had communion last week. What did we do when we took the cup? This is the new covenant, says Jesus, in my blood. Jesus Christ is, is the, the, the one who's made it possible for us to know the Lord is our, our, our covenant-keeping God, the God who's committed to us because of Jesus. That's for us. Jesus' death. We don't look back to the Exodus, but we look back to the birth, the teaching, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit uh, and God's work in our lives. And we see from all those events in history that this is our Lord. He is the God who's committed to us in Jesus Christ, in history, with evidence. He's done things. Also, it says here, he's the Lord Almighty. That means the Lord of hosts. It occurs quite a lot, that title in, in uh, Haggai. Also, the, the, the big name for God, L-O-R-D, Lord, also a lot in Haggai. What does it mean? The Lord of armies, it means. It talks of God's power to get the job done. That's almighty. It's also a reminder of the unseen world, actually. Because the Lord, is, we're reminded, is the Lord of the hosts. We're not so aware of the unseen world in our culture. But that doesn't mean it's not there. And, and that title, the Lord of hosts, means that he is the conqueror uh, in that area as well. That he rules there. That evil, the opposition, that persecution, that malice do not have the last word. Because God, our God, who's committed to us in Jesus Christ, is the Lord of hosts. And if you're oppressed by evil, remember that. We haven't got time to share, but just this week we were praying about something, Sandra and Peter and and David and myself, a situation where clearly this was evil encroaching and the Lord did something through prayers and through involvement. Uh, And as we prayed, I think, you know, I certainly, I think others too, had that sense that God is the Lord of hosts here and that evil in this city, uh, seeking seeking to take captive, somebody's life captured, captive is not the last word because he is the lord of hosts and so we pray think about who god is if you're discouraged think about what the lord does says haggai if you look at verse six 
And verse 9, Haggai tells them to think about their lives. And actually he reminds them that whatever they think, the Lord is involved with them. There's a references here to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I won't go to it now because our time is going to go in five minutes. But you might want to look it up or Amos 4, 6 to 9. Basically the idea is, do you remember God told the people of Israel that if they obeyed him... Uh, it would be good for them. (laughs) And God's goodness would be seen in in the way their crops grew uh, and the way they had enough money and all that kind of thing. And if they rebelled against him, so it would be seen or there would be consequences of that in in their material prosperity around. That's that's a a quick kind of summary statement. And, And the Lord is reminding the people... He's saying to the people of Haggai's time, look, guys, you may treat God as if he's not going to be really part of your life. But Haggai says to the children of Israel, he he is. Just look around you at what happens in your life, your crops, your incomes, the stuff that's not been going very well for them. He says, look, all of that is a wake up call from God. He's saying, you can't leave me at the margins. And we need that reminder We need that wake-up call too. He expects to be involved in our lives. Now, are we in the same position as the Israelites in Deuteronomy 28? Is it the same for us that, you know, if if we do the right things, God will automatically bless us and so on? No. It isn't like that. It's different now. There are lots of reasons why, why, you know, the, the way it works kind of since Jesus is a bit different. But obedience is often good for you, you know. Do what God wants. It doesn't guarantee everything's going to go well. Sometimes it goes a lot worse. But I just share something in my own life. It's a small thing. I I don't know whether you've noticed it, but but have you ever noticed that when when your your own kind of personal giving is up to date, money seems to go a bit further? Uh, Maybe it's only me that's noticed that. Uh, You know, and, and that's a little sign, really, that God is involved in our lives. So, how are you guys saying, look? Think about who God is. He's the Lord. Think about what the Lord does, that he is involved in your life. And he wants to be. And then thirdly, he says, look, think about what the Lord wants. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. Bring down timber, build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. God wants to take pleasure in this temple that he wants them to build. He wants to live among them. He wants to be honored by them. The house, the temple for God that they were supposed to build is the sign of that and that's the way it's going to happen. And God says, look, get back to it. Realize what I want. You see, the Lord wants them to rediscover him, who he is, what he does, what he wants. And he longs, God longs for his people to want what he wants. And that's the same for us, isn't it? To want what God wants. And so if we're discouraged, if we're settling for God at the edge of our lives, if we're kind of saying, oh, it's all all right, no, God's got nothing more for me. Well, Haggai says, You're missing something. You're missing what God wants for you. Give careful thought to your lives. Now, the Lord says that he sent these droughts. 
and he's uh, sent things on them, and he's made their, their, their money hasn't go far, and so on. Is that always the case? Let's just think about that for a moment. seems to me that the reason Haggai is highlighting this is that it's a bit unusual, actually. Otherwise, Haggai wouldn't need to necessarily highlight it. Now, C.S. Lewis, in quite a famous quote, said that God sometimes uses suffering to get our attention. That's true. He does. But that's not the same as saying that he always sends suffering into our lives. Now, we know that God permits suffering. God is sovereign. We know the Bible tells us that God will work for good in suffering and hard times. We know that God will, in his goodness, seek to wake us up sometimes when he allows us to go through hard times. But please don't think of God as someone who deliberately harms people, let alone people he loves, just to teach them stuff. You know, I, I've got two sons, James and Phil. You met James earlier. And when they were younger boys, they used to play rugby. And Mary and I, we permitted them to play rugby. And we knew that there was a certain risk involved in playing rugby. Permit your kids to play rugby, they might get hurt. But that, we didn't kind of, that didn't, you know, that was what, was, what, what we were doing. But that didn't mean I, I ran onto the field and broke James's leg, you know, so that he'd learn something through it. I allow, we permitted that, but that didn't mean we, we actively kind of made them suffer. And sometimes, you know, God is like that. He permits things. It's within his will. But, he, you know, he's not kind of sending bad stuff into our lives because he, he wants to make us suffer and make us learn something. Bad stuff comes for all kinds of reasons. And he will teach us stuff in those things. And he will be with us in those things. And he will work for good in those things. And that's what he's doing here. Although on this occasion, and he can do this, he chose, and God reveals through Haggai, that those things had come into their lives because of their sin. And sometimes that may happen to us as well. But it's, I would say, the exception, not the norm. So, as well as thinking straight, thinking about who God is, what he's done, what he wants, Haggai tells them to do something as well. What does Haggai tell them to do? Did you notice it? Notice it? What do you tell them to do? Go up to the mountains, get some wood. (laughs) Very practical advice. Go and get, but you can imagine what Haggai go. It's illegal. We're not allowed to do anything. Haggai says, "Don't worry about that. Just go and start. <laughs> Just get going on it. Take a first step." And, you know that is a good way out of discouragement as well. Sorry, I'm going the wrong wrong way. Take the first step. Haggai is saying, "Look, trust God about where it's going to go. Don't worry about the law, as we shall see next time. The law actually sorted itself out." It was all okay. Take that first step. Do something we sometimes need to do as well. Something that says, yes, I want to get back to where the Lord wants me to be, even if I can't see where it's going to take me. The second step out of discouragement, not only to know what's gone wrong, but to rediscover what you've been missing and what God has for you. Finally, and we're going to go really quick. The third one. 
verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the people... Sorry, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, um, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. I should be reading verse 12. Verse 12, sorry. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. They respond to God's word. That's the third step. And they respond in three ways. And we're going to go really quick. And I've pressed it. First of all, they recognize that the Lord has spoken. They recognize that the Lord has spoken. See, the Lord, they're saying, they realize the Lord is already kind of on his way back into their lives. Drawing them after him. Speaking to them. That's really encouraging. To realize when you're discouraged that the Lord is kind of drawing you back. He's coming near to you. He wants you to go after him. And we need to grab that with both hands and welcome his gracious work in our lives. Second thing they do, they obey the voice of the Lord, their God. They see that the Lord is speaking to them now and they obey. And we need to do that, to obey him. It says here they feared the Lord. What does that mean? Does it mean that they were terrified of him or they were cringing in the corner? No, I don't think that's what it means. It just means that they realize who's spoken to them. (laughs) You know, um, if Mary tells me to do something or asks me to do something, it's not difficult to ignore her, really, if I'm honest. (laughs) She's not here, but it's true. Uh, If the Queen of England asks me to do something, it would be a tad harder to ignore her, wouldn't it? Because of who she is. And it's a bit like that, isn't it, here? This is what Haggai is saying, or he's saying, the people that obeyed the voice of the Lord because they realized they feared him. They knew who it was who was speaking to them. And so they did what was right. And the third thing that happens is they recover their identity. That phrase there in verse 12 The whole remnant of the people. See, Isaiah, before they even went into exile, prophesied uh, that a remnant would return. In fact, he called one of his children that. You know, unusual name. He met Isaiah. I can't remember whether it was a son or a daughter. I think it was a son. Anyone know? Was it a son or a daughter? Anyway, whatever it was, I meant to check. Uh, Hello, I'm Isaiah. Meet the family. Here's my little boy. He's called a remnant will return. That was his name. And that was in his preaching. That was in his prophecy. And this remnant that was going back was, was carrying with it all of God's purposes for the future. Actually, God's purposes, if you look at Isaiah, for the whole world. And those purposes that they were carrying, the remnant in the coming Messiah who was going to come. And so the people of Israel, Haggai is saying, remember who you are. Remember that, that you're God's remnant. Remember you're connected to God's purposes. You belong to him. He's your Lord. He's your, your God. He's done all this thing, stuff for you. Get hold of what you are. Now we need that. We're not looking forward like they were doing to what God would do in history. We look back because we know Jesus has come. 
But we're part of his purposes. We're part of what God will do, ultimately, to bring the nations to him. We need to recover. Uh, Recovering our identity will help us out of discouragement. So then, 20 years. 20 years they've been discouraged. Unable to believe that the Lord was wanting to live with them. Missing the point of the temple. Missing or just giving up on the fact that he had these great purposes for them. That coming out of their kind of hosting God in their community. That's what he wanted. And they were just saying, oh no, it's too much. Can't be discouraged. It's over. No, well, let's just stick with where we are. 20 years it had been like that. And it comes to, whoops, gone to, it comes to an end. It comes to an end. How long have we lived with less than what the Lord wants for us? Is it 20 years or less? Not bothering really to pray with any sense of, well, God can do something here. No longer him expecting him to work in my life or yours. Not really thinking that God could possibly do anything different in a community like ours. Not in England, not in Southampton, not in a non-charismatic church. Maybe, you know, in a you know, more charismatic church, perhaps God would do something. Yeah, all those kind of stuff. Well, let's not be discouraged. Let's realize what's gone wrong. God's not to be at the edge. We're not to restate what God has promised and say, it's not for now or it's not for us. Let's rediscover what we're missing Who God is, the living God, committed in covenant through Jesus. Wanting to live among us, active in the world, even in our little part of this world. My life, yours. Give careful thought to our ways. And then thirdly, respond to his word. Let's be obedient. Recover our identity. Realize that we're the, 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 that just as they were like the lead into Jesus, so we are on the other side, but connected to him living out God's kingdom purposes in the world. That's what he wants. Our identity as his followers, sharing his life in the Holy Spirit. We obey him, but we're not on our own. We're not on our own struggling because Jesus is how God makes his home in us. Remember what Jesus said, if a man or a woman obey me, hear my teaching, obey my commands, I I and my father will come and make our home in that person. He talked of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives in the same uh, passage there. So let's not be discouraged and get where we should be as we respond to his word. And if you've not ever started with Jesus, well, maybe now is a good time to do so. To realize who he is and welcome him in to your life. Let's worship for a while and uh, our service will come to an end.